Hello and welcome. You're listening to the limited podcast series from the Texas Public Policy Foundation, The Road to Recovery. I'm your host, Brian Phillips. I'm the Chief Communications Officer here at the Foundation. And over several episodes, we're going to be discussing the challenges that Americans face from the coronavirus epidemic. Things like its effect on our health care, on our economy, and really on our daily lives. But most importantly, we're going to be discussing the path forward to mitigate the damages that are being caused by the epidemic and things that we can do in order to get our country back on track. TPPF has published the Recovery Agenda, a set of proposals that federal, state, and local governments should follow in order to protect the public health and safety, our economy, our families, our students. You can find that at texaspolicy.com. That brings me to my first guest, Dave Ballot. Dave Ballot is currently the director of Right on Healthcare Initiative with the Texas Public Policy Foundation. He has a broad base of experience throughout the healthcare spectrum with special expertise in healthcare finance, and he's a seasoned hospital exec- executive with more than 20 years of healthcare industry leadership and executive management experience. You can find Dave on Twitter at David Ballot HC. Welcome to the program, David. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks. Well, is it fair to say that uh, given your experiences uh, that both in the healthcare sector, but now working in healthcare policy, that, that you've really seen both sides uh, of the coin? Um, and now, on, on the one hand, having to be in the industry and living with the policies uh, that are handed down, essentially, but now being on the other side, um, using that experience to help direct it. Well, that's exactly right. Much of why I got into policy was because I saw healthcare continue to be more and more regulated, which contributed to how expensive it is. And now we're seeing in the midst of a pandemic that our leaders, our our governors, our president and uh, mayors are saying we need to do what we can to uh, release these burdens, these administrative burdens uh, and regulations that are uh, preventing doctors and patients from being closer together because right now there there are hindrances out there that uh, uh, prevent easy access to medical professionals. And healthcare is really the the front line. Uh, That's why we're starting with this one because people, um, you know, you feel the panic, the tension that people have in terms of what the healthcare situation is. Is it safe for them to go outside? Is it safe for their kids to go to school? That kind of issue. So, um, you know, without making it sound too dramatic, I mean, in your estimation, um, how bad is it going to get before it gets better? So based on what you've seen so far, do you, what do you think the, sh- the short and the long-term implications are for what we're experiencing right now? You know, I'll tell you, Americans do great with bad news. We, we take it and we move with it. The, the fear that is, is so prevalent right now is because of so much unknown. And we're trying to learn as much as we can. But Many have said, David, this is these are uncharted territories, um, and there's fear behind that because, again, the, the unknown. But one thing that I do know is that we've had a lot of, of incidences in this country where it's been uncharted territories. And what I do know by looking at history is that we have been able to move past it. We've come closer as a community. And right now, the language in D.C. that's it's, it's highly uh, divided is not helping the effort of becoming more uh, community-based. Today, people are helping people. And when we get to the place where we know more and we can do more, uh, we as, as the American people uh, are not only going to be stronger than we were before, we're going to contribute to the rest of the world being stronger as well. So if we're not uh, hearing um, 
if we're not hearing from people who have necessarily the right information or if there is, you know, create, creating a sense of, of conflicting information, what do you think the most important thing is that people need to know right now for in this current environment? Uh, in, in a time of, of uncertainty, it's always good, good to go back to your first principles, to go back to your foundation, to understand what is it that I should be doing. Well, you wash your hands, um, protect yourself, especially those people who are, are most at risk, those that are over 50 with other chronic conditions. Those people need to be uh, making sure that they, they stay safe and they uh, keep a, a safe distance from others so that they don't uh, have exposure to the, to the virus. Um, but just do those practical things that are that are smart and safe, uh, considering your your health and well being. I want to turn a little bit to the government response, um, and you know, as you mentioned, this is you know unprecedented, or at least um, uh, this is a lot bigger than things that, that we've experienced in recent memory. Um, you know, how do overall do you do you grade the government response, both at the state and the, the federal level? And, you know, to what what, you know, what kind of advice are you giving folks and public officials who are who are asking for for help on those issues? <laughs> uh, it, that's boy, uh, that is a that's that question's like an onion, lots of layers to it. <laughs> um, well, at the federal level, it's been very disappointing to see uh, our our lawmakers on both sides trying to uh, make use of this last coronavirus bill to put pet projects in as opposed to focusing on the task at hand. Uh, they're, not, they're not focusing. They're using it for uh, their political agenda, and that's unfortunate. And we just want to make sure that uh, we make them aware that, look, we need to deal with how best to protect the American people in this current situation. Uh, how best to protect our, our livelihoods because people are hurting. People are, are, are not doing well. I just recently heard a story, and, and this goes back to my uh, talking about community, uh, about an elderly couple at Costco, and uh, they were just unhappy, and the cashier asked what's wrong, and they said, we couldn't find any bread. And somebody next to them with, a, uh, with some bread in their cart said, you can have mine. Hmm. Um, so it, our problems are not going to be solved in, in D.C. Or, or in the state capitol. It's going to be solved in our communities. Now, but as far as the grade, it's not going to be a good grade. I hate to assign a letter to it, but there, there are other things that are happening. Um, you know, there are some, some medications that doctors are saying that are, um, you know, potential good ones to take that are safe, but because they're not um, designated by the FDA, um, they're not releasing them for anything beyond those designated diagnoses, um, contrary to how physicians may want to order them. So we, we need more flexibility. Um, for medical professionals to practice their calling. And some of the response has been um, from government officials to say, look, we've got some regulations that are standing in the way of us being able to uh, protect the public health and welfare. Um, you know, my question would be, why are those regulations in, in effect in the first place? And, and certainly if we remove them, why would we go back to a situation where those regulations uh, are in place? But can you talk a little bit about um, efforts to remove some of these barriers that are preventing, you know, hospitals from providing the kind of care that they need to, to, that they need to um, or just in general, some other kinds of provisions that um, public officials are working on, which are actually aiding and uh, in, in, in mitigating the problems we're having in the healthcare uh, system. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's 
It's a great question, by the way. Why do they exist? Uh, you know, in hospitals, just as an example, there were no less than 35 different agencies that licensed, accredited, or certified some aspect of my facilities. And we had staff that dealt with nothing but that. So it, it really does contribute to the overall cost and um, to the administrative burden of those facilities. But um, the single biggest thing that we can do moving forward is to implement a culture of, of transparency in healthcare. Um, you know, I'll say this with healthcare, it's not necessarily a recovery agenda, although that's what we're calling it. Um, what we're proposing will fundamentally transform healthcare. We, we've had a broken system for a long time. So we need to get to the place where it functions differently. And when I say differently, it would be more in tune with how patients need to be in a relationship with their medical professionals so that they can get the care they need. Um, I could go on and on about that. But. <laughs> and, and what would that mean? What would that look like in terms of a, you know, not necessarily a proposal, but if we were going to change things to be more transparent, is that just simply getting more information from your healthcare provider? Does that have to do with insurance companies? What would that look like? I mean, if, if my kid gets sick and I want to take them to the doctor and we're in a system where there's more transparency, what would that, what would that mean for me when I walk into the doctor's office? Have you ever seen a price list when you went to the doctor's office? I have never seen a menu uh, above the the reception that tells me how much MRIs cost. If that's we, we, we do. We need, we need to get set pricing. We need to know what we're, we're in for. The problems that we have with surprise medical billing, it's a surprise because we don't know who's providing services and how much they're charging. If all of that was upfront and transparent, that would fundamentally change how healthcare is, was uh, delivered. So the idea that, you know, I walk into a grocery store and I wouldn't be able to see pricing until I maybe get to the to the checkout and then find out that it's 10 times what I think it's worth or I don't have any opportunity to, to per, purchase something else. I mean, we in no other context would we ever accept that, right? Not at all. And, and people use all kinds of different industries to compare and contrast. And there's no reason why we should accept the status quo of where we are today. We can, and this goes back to that, uh, that American spirit I was talking about. We can envision something new and better. When I testified before Congress, it was either the ACA or the way that it used to be. I've been in healthcare a long time. The way it used to be still was terrible. The ACA has made things worse. It does not have to be a binary choice. It doesn't have to be this thing or that thing. It can be something new. And so people need to, to catch that vision and they need to understand that and be a part of the execution of that vision so that they can be a part of something that is um, transformative, something that is um, a benefit to their friends and their neighbors and to themselves and their own families. So that's a way to bring costs down is having that sort of creating more of a market for uh, for uh, healthcare costs or excuse me, healthcare services. Um, but you've talked a lot about, about about making sure that people have the resources they need in order to be able to have essentially the money to be able to um, afford their their own health care. Um, what is that provision like? You talked about um, expanding health healthcare savings accounts to include more items. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, no, we, we want to talk about that. But I also want to talk about, you know, insurance people. Uh, some would say that uh, I'm 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 anti-insurance, and that's not the case at all. I think insurance is is a, a needed product, but I think it needs to be it needs to function as insurance. Currently, it's prepaid medical care. 
And that's also contributed to why healthcare is so expensive. But HSAs, it's really just a health savings account is what it is. And it's um, Americans getting to use their own money uh, for healthcare services. And right now there are a lot of restrictions and there are caps on how much you can put into those, those accounts. And we're working with some legislators that want to um, uh, make those make more sense. And uh, we, uh, we support and uh, uh, encourage their work in that field. Uh, another provision that we discuss in the in TPPF's recovery agenda um, is expanding the use or maybe transforming the use of telemedicine. Um, I think a lot of people consider that, well, that's for you know rural communities who aren't close to hospitals, and you know that's really the only function. I think a lot of people who are sitting at home for you know the eighth, ninth day in a row and are wondering if they're ever going to be able to see their doctor again probably start to appreciate something like telemedicine right now. Can you talk a little bit? about how it would be used in this kind of context? Oh, sure. And I think it needs to be expanded way beyond telemedicine. Uh, the, the telephonic uh, exchange can be applied to more than just medicine. Behavioral health, therapy, counseling, um, different specialties, um, uh, you name it. Uh, there's a lot that can be done by distance. And I think that uh, perhaps in this time that that's creating a shift in culture where that is more accepted and, and received. Well, let me ask about sort of the, the path forward um, out of this. Let's let's say, you know, in two or three months, I mean, I don't think anyone's expecting um, us to be on lockdown for, for um, you know, a year at a time. But let's let's say, you know, in two or three months, we start to, to make our way, um, you know, back to, towards recovery. What is what are some of the uh, you know, what does recovery look like for people? What is the, if we start to make some of these transformations, um, you know, what does that look like for, for folks, you know, if we're starting to uh, implement some of these new policies and, and um, you know, new ideas that are, that are hopefully going to be transforming people's access to medicine as well as keeping the cost down? Well, it's going to look different for different people. Uh, you know, one of the things that, that uh, we talk about in our Right on Healthcare initiative is that we, we don't have a plan. We want people to be able to control uh, their own their own choices. We want them to be able to uh, take part in solutions that best suits their needs. Because if we were to come up with a single plan, we would be doing the exact same thing that, uh, that many would be doing in government and creating a one-size-fits-all solution. And that's just not appropriate. You look at the – this is a, a, a big and vast country with a lot of diversity that have uh, people with, with uh, different needs. Uh, I mean, you look at Texas alone, South Texas, North Texas, West Texas, East Texas, and Central Texas, all very different places uh, with various uh, you know, cultural identities. And uh, you're going to have different medical needs. You know, in the hospitals, our, our primary service areas were between one and three miles. It's a very community-based um, uh, facility that focused on the needs of that limited population. Now, that changes based on where you are, but uh, those that tended to be the case for, for my hospitals. Uh, doing something across the nation is, is, is silly, but that goes back to your question. What does it look like? It, well, it, it depends on what you want for your family, what your needs are, um, what your resources are and how you can get the best that there possibly is. Right now, we don't have very many options. 
So it sounds like to me like you're fairly optimistic that, that we will be able to use this opportunity uh, to make some changes in our system that hopefully will keep us better prepared if something ever like this would ever, ever happen again in any way. I'm always I wouldn't be here if I wasn't optimistic. Uh, and I would encourage everybody listening is uh, be encouraged, have hope, because it's difficult to get past any situation that we're in without it. Uh, unless you see the light at the end of the tunnel and, and, and don't believe that it's a train coming at you, then uh, you're going to you're going to get you're going to get to where you want to go and you're going to be a part of the solution. And, and this is going to be a good situation. And like I said, if you look back at history, uh, we tend to be stronger, more more resilient and more prepared uh, as we learn from these experiences. Well, that's a great message for our listeners. Uh, for now, that concludes our time for this episode. Uh, thank you, Dave, for being here. Really appreciate your comments and your insight on this issue. And um, I hope um, you know people have gotten a lot out of, of what you had to say today and sort of have a better idea about maybe what might be um, ahead of us on the road to recovery. Again, I'm Brian Phillips for the Texas Public Policy Foundation's limited podcast series, The Road to Recovery. For access to the full series, you can find us on iTunes and for more information on this and all the critical issues that are facing you, your family, our schools, our state, our nation, please go to texaspolicy.com. Thank you for listening.